We've been looking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in the last section now, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28. And um, if, you, if you're a visitor here, we've been going through a series which we've, we've been calling Good News in Difficult Times. Uh, the Thessalonian church had faced quite a lot of opposition, and Paul had faced opposition in setting up the church. But in the midst of all of that, there was good news. In the midst of all of that, God was at work. Uh, and this is the last of the, the final talk. Uh, if, you've, if you're part of the church here, then you'll have heard uh, that um, Paul wrote this letter to a church that he'd founded maybe two years earlier. But he'd had to leave in a hurry. And um, having spent probably no more than a few weeks with them, maybe three or four weeks, maybe a little bit more, but we don't exactly know. But it wasn't very long. And he was a bit worried for them. He'd had to leave them in a hurry. Uh, so he'd sent Timothy, a bit later on, he'd sent Timothy over to find out whether the church had survived without him being there, um, without him there to teach, without him there to nurture this newly born gathering of new Christians. How had they fared? And of course, he discovered that the Holy Spirit had been more than capable of uh, keeping the church alive. In fact, more than just keeping the church alive, not only did they survive, but they were flourishing. And he reported that, that um, the gospel had gone far and wide from them so that in their, surrounding every, in their surrounding area, the whole region knew about their faith in Jesus. So they were doing remarkably well. And as Paul draws his letter to a close, as we're going to be looking at the last part of the last chapter, he tries to pack in a number of last-minute reminders and encouragements. He says he's determined at one point that he will go and visit them. But in the meantime, he's saying, don't forget these things. And a few weeks ago, Andrew rather helpfully, he was giving the third talk in the series, and he summarized the first three talks in, the, in this way. He said, the first talk from, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 was, we're chosen. And then Steve brought the second half of chapter 2, and Andrew said, summarize it, we're loved. And the, the talk that, that Andrew brought, which was the second half of chapter 2, said, we're different. And because we're different, we face persecution at times. And then I said in, verse, in chapter 3 that we're watched over, that God watches over us. We go through difficult times, but God watches over us. And then probably a few, couple of weeks, two or three weeks ago, James brought a talk, and I guess you'd summarize that as being we're holy. It was laying out how we should live our lives to be pleasing to God. And I guess if you summarize that, it's saying we're holy. And then last week, Andy Andy Ascott was talking about the Lord's return. And he, uh, and he gave a, a really, really good talk last week about the Lord's return. And I guess if you were to summarize that, it's saying we're eternally secure. Well, if I carry on in that same vein now, I would say, if you summarize what I'm about to say, it's we're relational. We're relational. We're relational with each other. We're relational with God, and we're relational with the world. That would be a very quick summary of 
what I'm about to bring. So let's uh, read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. Get myself some water. It says this. <clears throat> now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I've added the next bit. Unless you're English, in which case you can give each other a jolly good handshake. <laughs> I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You know, as I read this passage, it reminds me that we are called to be relational and not isolated. And the passage addresses the subjects of relationships between the church and the leaders of the church, the relationships within the body of Christ, especially those between those who are able to stand firm in the Lord and those who are struggling or walking in error. And the relationship between the church and the Holy Spirit. And in passing, it also just mentions in just almost a throwaway line, our relationships with the world around us. I'll come to that in a moment. And the underlying Context and assumption in these relationships is that these relationships will shape us, will confront us, will strengthen us, and will ultimately do us good. That's the underlying assumption in these relationships. And the implicit, sort of unspoken assumption, but you kind of read it between the lines is the assumption is that we won't, by nature, want to be shaped and confronted and challenged, even if it will be for our ultimate good.
And so the first of his last-minute reminders is regarding the relationship between the church and its leaders. That's the first thing he addresses. Those who are charged with bringing direction and, at times, admonition. And can I just say how grateful I am as, as leader of the church here for the way that you, as a company of people, encourage me. You know, many of you take time to affirm my leadership. You know, you give me expressions of thanks for the time that I put in to leading the church. The, you, you say encouragements of, you know, you spoke well or you led that well. You tell me personal stories of what's happened in your lives recently that kind of serves to sort of confirm in me that you've been listening to what I've been bringing and that I'm not walking on a path on my own, but that you're walking with me. If I'm walking along and no one's following me, I'm not really being a leader. But if I'm walking and you're following with me, and many of your stories tell me that you are, many of your stories are saying, you know, you said about this, well, actually, this happened to me. And it's really encouraging when I hear those sorts of stories. And it's not, of course, that I should be living for the approval of men. None of us should. In fact, the scriptures say that none of us should be living for the approval of men. God's, in, God's approval is all that we need. And he's already given that to us in abundance through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We need no other um, approval than knowing God has done that for us. But it's good to honour and to encourage. And sometimes the approval of the Lord is communicated through the encouragement of men, just as at times the correction of the Lord comes through the correction of men, the admonition of men, in the same way. So, although I don't, you know, I don't live for your approval, but when I get it, it's good and it's encouraging. And you also need the, the approval. That you, we need to be a company of people that honours one another. And Paul says that we should honour those who labour amongst us. You know, it's hard to preach on a subject like this. Because um, it, it inevitably feels like I'm trying to blow my own trumpet. And being English, that doesn't sit very well with us. We, we don't like to blow our own trumpets. Uh, but fortunately, the Apostle Paul preaches it for me. You know, he, he says, let's go back and let me just read it. He says, um, oops. Acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live at peace with each other. That's what it says. So Paul preaches it for me. I don't need to say it. But it's not just me, of course. It's not just me and Teresa even. It's your connect group leaders. It's those who lead us in worship. It's those who lead us in serving the children. It's those who lead us in serving the poor and those in need through the soup run or street pastors or cap. It's, it's all of those things. It's all the people that lead us in all sorts of ways that we want to honour. 
And where it says live at peace with each other, of course, this could mean generally across the whole fellowship, live at peace with each other. But um, commentators suggest that because of its context and where it's put, it really does particularly refer to how leaders and the church work out together their relationship, live at peace with each other. And, you know, I would say to you, as a very practical response, ask yourself, how can I encourage my leaders, net group leaders, whichever leaders it might be, whoever is taking a lead in any of the roles that you're involved in in the church, how can you encourage your leaders over the next few weeks, some random acts of kindness and encouragement, perhaps when it's least expected, Can I just share a story of, of my son who leads a church? And just recently, he was given an unexpected gift of money as a token of appreciation. Um, it made him feel very appreciated. and It also enabled him to get some new um, furniture, which he really needed. Now, I'm not fishing for a gift of money. Let me be clear. My, my finances are very different from my son's. I'm not bringing up three children, and I'm not paying London rent. So, you know, as I share it, but I'm sharing it as an example of how a moment of thoughtfulness and kindness can result in great encouragement. You know, the person, that, the people that did that probably didn't think uh, too much of it. They thought, well, it'd be nice to do. That's probably what they thought, it'd be nice to do. But actually, it really so blessed my son. It was just a, a moment's thoughtfulness and kindness, and it resulted in great encouragement. How can you encourage those who serve you through their leadership. And as I say, it's not just talking about me and Teresa, it's talking about uh, the wider leadership team, it's talking about your connect group leaders, those who lead you in any particular team that you're a part of, how can you encourage them? And then having dealt with how the church should love and encourage the leaders that God has given to them, Paul then sums up how we should encourage and show kindness to each other. Those who are standing strong in the Lord especially are to support those who are in need of some sort of support. It says to some you warn, to some you encourage, to some you help, and to all you show patience. Now, in that passage, this wasn't for the leaders. It wasn't saying the leaders warn, the leaders encourage, the leaders help. Although, of course, they do. But it was saying, church, warn those among you who need to be warned. Encourage those among you who need to be encouraged. This was for the church. This is everybody. You know, it's generally thought that there, that there were those who'd misinterpreted what Paul had told them at first about the Lord's return, which Paul clarified earlier in, in the letter, and Andy served us so well in explaining last week about the Lord's return. But some felt that it could happen at any moment. So why continue to work? Why not just sit back, do nothing, just wait, he's coming back, let somebody else feed me, and just wait. It would appear that that was what some were doing. And it would seem that this problem persisted since in his second letter, Paul continues to write about, he says, 
Let the one who is unwilling to the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, I, I want to put a, a, a sort of caveat on this. This refers to people who could work but were unwilling to work. It doesn't refer to people who are unable to work either through sickness or the unavailability of work. It's not talking about that. It is talking specifically about people who could work and who don't. But what, what it shows me is when Paul says that we should warn people who choose to be idle, or it could also mean, apparently, the, the word could mean disruptive, disorderly, or undisciplined. When he says we should warn such people, he really means it. Just don't even feed them. They're going to get hungry. Well, that's their problem. Encourage them. He tells us to encourage the disheartened and the faint-hearted. Encourage them. You know, don't beat them up because they're not behaving like God's man or woman of power for the hour. Encourage them. Encourage people who are struggling, disheartened, faint-hearted. Help the weak. That's practical help. Getting your hands dirty, help. I believe we're very good as a, a fellowship at doing that, actually. Help the weak, even when it's inconvenient to help. Because this is what pleases God. And it says, be patient to everyone. Everyone means everyone. Patient with those you've just needed to warn. Patient with those you've needed to encourage. Patient with those you've needed to help. Patient with everyone else too. Patient with everyone. It says, don't pay back wrong for wrong. An eye for an eye is not New Testament teaching. People, you know, love to sort of, you know, you, when you go out on the streets and they, they love to quote an eye for an eye, but it's not New Testament. Paul says, don't pay back wrong for wrong. Strive to do good to each other. But also, he says, and to everyone else as well. Just a passing reference. He says, do good to, do good to one another and to everyone else as well. That's the sort of passing reference to our relationship with the world. We are to do good to the world. We're to do good. Strive to do good for each other, but also for everyone else. You know, by and large, here in this church family, we are a fairly together bunch of people. Well, on the surface, at least. Okay, on the surface, at least, we are a fairly together bunch of people. But imagine what it might be like, what it will be like, when the Lord starts to add more lost people to us, people who are lost but get added to us. Imagine what it might be like when some people who we meet on the soup run come into the family of God. You know, some of the people that I'm regularly praying for, I've been telling you, I've been regularly praying for a group of people just recently, and some of them are young people that I used to work with in a pupil referral unit. They now live in Weymouth. Uh, they are from looked-after families. They didn't have their own family. They were in care at the time. 
They are without family. They're without any real father figures. 17 to 21 year olds, that sort of age group. Left to their own devices, hanging around the streets, you will see them. They've already been in prison. Certainly one of the ones that I know has already been in prison. And I pray not only for them, but also for those in their circle of friendship, the people that they hang around with on the streets. Imagine what it will be like when the Lord answers my prayer and some of those young men and women, people like that, start to find a home and a family amongst us. It may not be quite so pretty then. We may not be quite the same together bunch of people that we currently are. I mean, we're all kind of, you know, we're all, all respectable, aren't we? We're, we're nice people. We're respectable people. But just imagine what might happen as God begins to bring lost, more lost people amongst us. Maybe then we'll need to hold on to the teaching in a, in a different way. Warning the disorderly, encouraging the disheartened, helping the weak, being patient with everybody might mean more, make more sense. Are you up for that sort of challenge? You know, I tell you, in the books that I'm reading, in the stories that I'm reading about God at work, generally speaking, it isn't amongst nice, respectable society where everyone has got their lives together, at least on the outside. It's not in that area where God seems to be at work. More usually, as I read stories, it tends to be those that have little, that are struggling on the margins. We sang a song just now about God reaching to the margins. It tends to be, from what I see, when God is at work, he seems to be working at the margins. Those that have little in the judgment of this world. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. When it happens, you know, we'll need to be ready and willing to show patience and kindness to all. You know, I've come to have a bit of a problem with what we call friendship evangelism. Not with friendship evangelism as such, but making that the only type of evangelism that we, we do. So putting all our eggs into the basket of friendship evangelism. And I have two problems with it. One of them is relevant to what we've just read. Firstly, one of my problems is we may find that we've invested our lives into friendships that ultimately won't produce a harvest. Now, you know, I've got to be careful as I say that, because I don't want it to seem as though we're making our friendships with people purely for an ulterior motive, that all we want is to get them saved, you know, a scalp. It's not that. Actually, the people that we, we, we know and love, we long for them to find Jesus and share eternity with us and share eternity with him. So 
when we want our friends saved, it's not in some sort of, you know, scalp. I've got another scalp. It's a genuine love. We genuinely love our friends and we genuinely want them to find Jesus. Why wouldn't we? We don't want them going to hell. We want them to know Jesus. We want them to be saved. But there may be others nearby. If our focus is purely on our friends, there may be others nearby that we miss who are ready and waiting to have the gospel presented to them. The person of peace that Jesus says we're to find. So in terms of kingdom advancement, it may be more profitable to spend some of our time with others who are ready for the gospel rather than spend all of our time with friends who are not ready or not yet ready for the gospel. Does that make sense? I'm not saying don't spend time with your friends, just saying, but keep your eyes open. There may be other people around that God is at work in. And secondly, the gospel is for everyone, not just our friends. The gospel's for everyone. If the only people we ever try to share the gospel with are our friends, then there'll be many people who never get to hear the gospel. If all we ever share the gospel with is our friends. And this passage is relevant, uh, this is relevant rather to this passage because, I don't know about you, but I suspect you're the same, I generally make friends with people who are like me. You know, I can't think of one person in this church, genuinely, I cannot think of one person in this church that fits the description of being idle, disruptive, or disorderly. I can't, because they're in one. And I can't think of any of my friends who fit that description either. So who is there to bring a warning to? When it says warn those sorts of people, well, who is there to bring a warning to? You know, this prompting in the scriptures from Paul to the Thessalonian church only makes sense in our context when you start to form a church of all sorts. When you start to reach chaotic people, when you start to reach broken people, when you start to reach hurt people, when you start to reach people who've never been shown a model of how to live in a way that pleases God. So let's pray for breakthrough into parts of this community who are different from us. So that we, we, you know, people we wouldn't naturally gel with. So that we can truly be a family that's united in God and not just purely on human terms because we kind of like one another and we all get on with one another and we're all of a similar type of person to one another. And that's our unity. No, our unity is in God. And that unity transcends the types of people we are. We can, we can have all sorts of people in here from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of stratas of society, quite different to us, but we can be united in Christ because of what God has done. And finally, Paul reminds them of their relationship with God. Rejoice, pray, be grateful and be open to the Holy Spirit. Rejoice, pray, be grateful 
and be open to the Holy Spirit. Those are the hallmarks of our relationship with God. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Rejoice, pray, and be grateful. This is how God wants us to relate to him. And it's important that we don't become hardened and cynical. When prophecy comes, be open to it, but test it. But don't prejudge it with cynicism. It's a great danger. You know, when Ken said, one day we're going to have much larger premises than this, did you think, oh yeah, like that's going to happen? That would be cynicism. Or did you think, okay, God, I hear that. If you're in this, then I'll pray about that for it to come about. If that's your will, I'm going to engage with you and pray about it. I'm going, to, I'm going to have faith stirred within me. Ultimately, of course, we'll know that a word is from the Lord when it comes to pass. But don't treat words with contempt. Don't, don't be cynical. Allow faith. When you hear prophetic words, let's allow faith to stir that it may indeed be from the Lord. Don't be cynical. Be open and cooperate with God. When God reveals something, he could just do it without us. He could. He's big enough. But actually, he wants us to partner with him and to engage with him through our prayers. When we pray, we're engaging with God in the things that he has said to us and the things that he wants to bring about. We're engaging with God, and he wants us to partner and engage with him through our prayers and at times through our actions and even at times through our finances. He says, pray continually. You know, for much of my life, I would say I haven't prayed continually. I've prayed in spasms. I've prayed about something and then moved on. Sometimes I've been praying, but I haven't prayed continually for something. I've prayed for something and then I've moved on. It's only more recently where I've been praying over and over and over again, day in, day out, about certain things. Whether I feel like doing it or whether I don't. And sometimes I really don't. Sometimes I think, are we ever, am I ever going to see the answer to this prayer? Is it ever going to happen? Should I just move on to something else? Do you ever feel like that? It's just me. Do you ever feel like that? Prayed for something, prayed for something, prayed for something. Is it ever going to happen? Then I remember a faithful God who tells me that he hears my prayers, who tells me to persevere, and he gives me sometimes small glimpses of his answer to me. And then I can keep going. Pray continually. Always be thankful and grateful. Now, of course, we shall be forever thankful for what Christ has done for us on the cross. We are forever saved. We can be thankful for our daily provision of life, the very breath that we breathe, food, shelter, friendship, love, the list could go on. There's so many things that we are thankful for. But I'd say to us, be watchful 
for answers to prayer. You know, in our Connect group, we started a book. You probably do the same. But if you don't, maybe you want to. To record all of our prayers. So that when God answers our prayers, we can look back and remember. We prayed about that, and God has answered it. And then we can give him thanks. You know, too often, I don't know about you, I, 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 I think I own up to this, and maybe you do as well. Too often, we pray, and then we forget that we prayed. And God answers anyway, because God does. God is gracious and wonderful. God answers anyway, but we don't experience the joy of seeing prayer answered, because we've forgotten that we prayed it. And therefore, we don't experience the gratitude that comes from answered prayer. So I'd say let's find ways of always being grateful and full of thanksgiving to God. If that means you're keeping a book in your connect group or in your own private life, a private journal of things you've prayed for, and then you can look back and say, God's answered that. Thank you, God. Otherwise, it can just sort of dissipate. Can't it? You, just, you pray for things and you forget you've prayed for them. But God answers them anyway. But you lose the, you lose the joy of seeing answered prayer. So, finally, we're relational. We're relational to God. We're relational to our leaders. And if we are leaders, we're relational in our leading, in whatever context that is. We're relational to each other as, a, as the body of Christ. We are in relationship. And we are relational to the world outside. So let's strive. The word in there says strive. Strive. Takes work. Strive for good relationships, even when that might be challenging or difficult. You know, the good news, as it says at the end of that prayer, is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. Whatever the difficulties, however hard it gets, whatever the struggles, and if the picture I was trying to paint about when God starts to bring more lost people in through these doors into our lives, and it all gets a bit messy, and we need patience to deal with them, and we need patience to encourage them, and we get somewhere and we, they seem to blow it again. And No, we're just going to keep going. Patience, patience, blessing, prayer, seeking God. Even when it gets difficult, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. Amen? Amen. Let's just respond to God in worship. James, do you want to pick up a guitar? And let's just... Let's just, we've got a few moments just to worship God. As ever, I would say to you, if there are things that you want prayer for at the end, do come and get prayer. Don't leave without prayer. If you are feeling weak, if you are feeling discouraged, and you need people to gather around you and encourage you and give you help, then, then seek it. Ask for it. Don't just keep it to yourself. Actually do something practical about it.